Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus be gambleaware.org T's and C's apply Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me Sam Matterface TalkSport's Chief Football Correspondent Alex Crook and the former West Ham and England forward Dean Ashton On the way this week United we stand Ten Hag's top boys turn it on in the second half against the Foxes. Arsenal outgun Villa to return to the top as City miss fire at Forest. West Ham facing a crucial week with Forest heading to the London Stadium next Saturday in a massive six-pointer. And divine intervention. Liverpool get a helping hand from Pope. But old Nick is out of the Carabao Cup final. And Daesh does it again. It's the Game Day Football Podcast from TalkSport. Hello, gentlemen. Everyone okay? Ding, hello. How are you? Have you recovered from uh, the thriller that we were at on Saturday? It was absolutely brilliant, wasn't it? We were at Aston Villa for the Arsenal game. It was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I have recovered, thank you. I did need a little beer, I'm not going to lie. Once I got back down to uh, to London, that was that was just brilliant, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it was quite uh, unnerving for me because I was still in the car and it flashed up on my phone that you were sitting in a pub with a pint. And I was like, hold on. <laughs> He lives miles away in comparison to me. <laughs> How has he got to the pub before me? Um, uh, someone who's never far from a bar. Crookie, you're right. I'm good, and I can vouch from our time in uh, in Qatar that, that Dean Ashton is quite good at sourcing a pint in an, in his hour of need. Uh, <laughs> uh, Manchester United beat Leicester City by three goals to nil on Sunday. Uh, Crookie was all over this, but I want to ask you a question, actually, Dean. Do you think Eric Ten Hag is getting enough credit because? Look, if the Glazers get six billion quid for Manchester United, then Eric Ten Hag deserves a slice of that pie, doesn't he? And, and let me tell you why I think he deserves a slice of that pie. He's rebuilt the fragile confidence uh, from a group that he inherited from Ralph Rangnick at the end of last season when any groan from the crowd and they'd just go into their shell. He's made Old Trafford not only a fortress where they get results, but also a place to go and watch exciting, entertaining football. Um, he's tactically very clever. He altered the tactics before they went stale and then readjusts when necessary. He's made Marcus Raf- Rashford so prolific. If he can com- keep performing at this level, he has a chance to be a world-class goal scorer and finally live up to his potential. Um, and he's made an unsellable club, a monolith that needed a huge turnaround, a sellable asset. He deserves commission, doesn't he? <laughs> Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think you only needed to have watched that game yesterday to realise, I think, um, his influence on the side and why I think Manchester United are where they are. And that is, he recognised that either he'd made a mistake or the team certainly weren't carrying out the instructions he'd given in that first half. And Leicester were by far the better team. 
He recognised that. He took off a young kid, which some managers may not have done at half-time. He changed things around slightly. He improved that midfield. He, he plugged the gaps. And they were brilliant in the second half and fully deserved the uh, the comfortable win in the end. And that's, you know, he's he's got a ruthless edge. There's no doubt about it. But also then when he's asked about Marcus Rashford after the game, he completely deflects and talks about Bruno and the supply line. And he just, to me, does seem to be going around about things exactly the right way. And also fascinating to see the, you know, the, the Manchester United uh, supporters trust at the end of their statement was purely the new ownership have to stick with this Ten Hag revolution, which I think says everything about where the supporters feel um, the sort of the support for the manager uh, lies. Um, I know that Crook has um, started to believe his own hype because he he reckons that Ruben Seles, the I heard this. interim manager, is dressing like him because the guy wore a black roll neck. But Eric Ten Hag <laughs> only ever wears a roll neck. So actually, does he dress like you as well? Is he has he is he taken the crookie style? In fact, I think I started this. You took it on I, after it had gone out of fashion, and now Eric Ten Hag and Ruben Seles have taken it on. Even further, um, are you? Uh, you're, you're you're one of those, though, aren't you? That's very much in the whoever takes over as the new owners of Manchester United have got to be behind this guy because he's changed the whole mood of the place. Hundred uh, percent. And actually, I was speaking on breakfast on Monday morning. Obviously, the Qatari bid comes with so many questions, but I think one of them is how will they run the football club? Is this going to be PSG Mark II? If it is, I'm not for it. You know, Hollywood signings, big name superstars. Manchester United have been there, done that got the t-shirt and it looks uh, it's a dirty t-shirt that needs being put in the wash because this Ten Hag revolution is not about superstars it's not about individuals as Dean Ashton has already alluded to it's about the collective and this guy is changing the face of the football club he's brought back the feel-good factor Uh, as you say he's got young players believing in him not just Marcus Rashford look at Jadon Sancho Jadon Sancho was on such a low ebb a few weeks ago that he wasn't even training with the first team now He's got a smile on his face. He's playing like he's enjoying his football, probably for the first time since he became a big money signing for Manchester United. Eric Ten Hag could do no wrong. I think he's an absolute genius. Okay, let's hear from Eric Ten Hag, who says that the impact of Sancho and Veghorst, especially in the second half of that game against Leicester, was absolutely key. Second half, we play like the principles and the rules of the game from, from us. We transfer the game plan. And then you see we are dictating the game. And with Jaden on the pitch, uh, we want to. There was a lot of space in the midfield area, and to bring him there, to, so to get more plays, a good play between the lines, to get more dynamics. I think uh, it works really well. Him and Bruno uh, on that side, and I think with um, with Wout up front, we get a better pressing. Um, and I think that's then, yeah. The fact, due to the fact that we are more controlling, dominating, dictating the game and finishing the game. And I think in the end it's a deserve win, but yeah, the meaning of the first goal is, is important. Crook and I actually had a discussion on the way uh, back um, from where we were last night. He was in the studio, I was uh, down in London and uh, we were discussing uh, the uh, situation involving the owners at Manchester United and the, and the game itself and how in that first half... I mean, I know Eric Ten Hag said that they were rubbish in the first half, Manchester United. I didn't think they were rubbish. I just think that they left too many gaps. And Leicester played 
quite well. <laughs> they were all right, especially in that first 45 minutes. Madison was excellent. Then they started to give the ball away a little bit cheaply in the second half, and Manchester United completely dominated that second 45. Um, but should they have been down to 10 men, Dean Ashton, when Sabitzer uh, went in with a straight leg? Um, Sunes was convinced that it should have been a sending off. What do you reckon? Should they have at least looked at it? This this does frustrate me a little bit because this is where if you stop something and look at the still of it, you can make thing you make a lot of things look a lot worse than they are. Now, when you watch that in real time, Sabitzer, yes, looks as if he's going to make that lunge, and then therefore if he was to follow through, absolutely it would have been a red card. But he didn't. He he almost glanced a um a stud on the knee. He took his he took his foot away. And that's where there's got to be that understanding. And there was yesterday that there wasn't the force. He managed to pull his foot away just in time so he didn't properly injure Valtfast, who carried on and was absolutely fine. So I was I was fine with the decision that was that was made. But if you watch the look at the still of it, the still looks really ugly. And you would if you looked at that, you would have to say it's a red card when I don't think it was. Brendan Rogers wasn't happy though, was he? He wasn't, but of course he's not going to be, and he'll want he'll want uh, half an excuse as to why his team completely capitulated in the second half. I thought they were absolutely dreadful, considering how good they were first half. They were equally as poor. Gave up, I thought, in that in that second half, and that and them quite a bit, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it does, and and I think they'll be fine because they look so good going forward in that first half, um, and actually Manchester United looked like early Ten Hag, pre-Ten Hag, if I was honest, they were so bad in the centre of the pitch. Um, and they Leicester just, just pressed didn't... up too high. I thought they started the game really well, Manchester United. First 15 minutes, pressed up really high. And then Leicester got to grips with what Manchester United were doing and thought, oh, hold on a second. Uh, because they had changed it. I mean, you and I were watching the game in the new Camp um, on Thursday night for TalkSport and uh, they altered the formation for that game. They went with the same thing again against uh, Leicester City. And Leicester sort of trying to sort of deal with that for the first 10 minutes. Manchester United dominated. Then all of a sudden, they got to grips with it, exposed the space in behind and were causing all sorts of issues. Probably should have scored a couple of goals during that. If it hadn't been for David De Gea, they probably would. And then Ten Hag flips it again. The advantage goes Manchester United's way. And all of a sudden, Leicester melt um, very, very quickly, like a like an ice cube in front of a fire. Um, Crook, talk to me about the uh, the ownership situation then. Jim Ratcliffe on the PR offensive. Not sure that it really matters because Tari is not popular with the fan groups already. Nothing has happened yet. Um, so how long is the process now? Because the soft deadline has passed. Well, how long is a piece of string? Um, there's no sort of definite deadline as to when the Glazers uh, want the piece to of either sell the, or stay. Uh, I think they the said... Glazers are pulling you Manchester United fans along by. Well, it's, it's a good question. And, and both you and I have had reservations about whether... This is all a cunning ruse by the Glazer family. Bump up the share price, make it look to the supporters as if they're trying to sell to take the heat off for a while and then actually come out at the end of it and say, well, nobody met our valuation. We are staying. There's also this North American hedge fund lurking in the background, which would give the Glazers uh, a way to retain some kind of shareholding. I think we still need to know an awful lot more about these two bids. So Jim Ratcliffe, for example, he wants to buy uh, the majority uh, of the football club. The Qataris say they want 100% ownership. They say their bid is debt-free. We haven't heard uh, from Ineos how they're going to service the debts the Glazers have racked up over the years, which uh, I think if you include 
the transfer fees that are still owing, it's more than £700 million. So uh, I think that there needs to be a lot more transparency about both these bids. And then there is the underlying suspicion uh, that the bid from Qatar does have links uh, to Qatar Sports Investment and therefore might be blocked by UEFA anyway. So I think we're a long way from finding out who the new owners will be at Manchester United. And that's if you even take out of the equation that there could be more bids coming in. I think there's a group in Saudi Arabia who is still preparing to make their sales pitch because it was a soft deadline. So bids can still come in between now and whenever the Glazers decide to make a final decision. I think I heard earlier on that maybe the Saudi Arabia bid may not be happening now because of the conflict with Newcastle United or what would be perceived a conflict with Newcastle uh, United. Um, and that maybe gives sort of way to the Qatari bid to happen because uh, they wouldn't want to get into a bidding war with them. Um, Dean, I, I don't know about you, but the most fascinating thing about Sunday's game between Manchester United and Leicester was the fact that, that for the first time in the Premier League, I'm sure there was two vouts on the pitch. Has ever happened before? Fass and Veghorst. Uh, Spurs two, West Ham United nil. I watched this in my dressing room at Dancing on Ice, right? And Oti Mabuse came in halfway through and said, "What are you watching?" It was the first half. I said, "Oti, you don't want to watch this. This is this is bilge. This um, the, uh, the the first half, one of the worst halves of all season." Um, I actually ended up talking to her about Arsenal and Chelsea instead and then gluing sequins back onto her dress because it was such a boring first 45 minutes, Dean. But in the end, Tottenham got the job done. Yeah, they did. Typical Tottenham. Um, much better in the second half. And it just it, it baffles me why they can't begin the game the way they, they end the game. And it, it was one of the worst West Ham performances I've seen in terms of, I think, Jared Bowen stood out as one of the players that I thought was up to a certain level. The rest of the team, I thought, were way below what's required in such a derby. When you're down there in a relegation battle, I think if you looked around, certainly on Saturday, the teams that are struggling and what they're having to do to put in to get the uh, to get the victory, I think um, I think they were they were way off it, and uh, and that was a real scary scary thing for the West Ham fans to see. Um, uh, West Ham are in serious peril, aren't they, Crook? Because they lack goals, but they lack points. And over the next weekend, they've got Nottingham Forest at the London Stadium. And that could be a defining fixture because if they were to lose that or even even fail to win that game, I think the mood inside the stadium would turn toxic. I think it's already turned. If you look at uh, if you look at the West Ham Twitter handle, even before this Tottenham game, uh, a lot of West Ham's fans were predicting that they would go down limply, uh, not make much of a fight of it. And that's exactly what happened. One shot on target, I think, in the entire game in, in a London derby. I think they paid the price here for trying to revolutionise the squad. I think David Moyes has gone away from really the, the, the way that he likes to play and the way that brought them success. The, the signing of Pakatar hasn't worked out. The arrival of Skamaka hasn't ended up delivering the volume of goals they would have expected. And I think they're in big, big trouble, West Ham. And I know for a fact the owners have contemplated making a change of manager, but they've surveyed the market and they've at the moment decided there isn't anybody out there who can come in and be an upgrade on David Moyes. And that's why that he still hangs on. But I think if they lose at home to Forrest, particularly given Forrest Dyer away record, I think his position surely becomes untenable. Dean, what is going on in this world where not one football club can find a manager that they think can take a Premier League club forward? I just don't understand it. Where have all the managers gone? 
they kind of price themselves out of the market. They're usually desperate to come back and, and make an impact. Where are they? Do you know what? I think because of how quickly managers are turned over, most of the managers that you would automatically look at have already had a crack. Have already had a crack <laughs> and failed or have, have recently been sacked. So therefore, you maybe rule them out. And then you look at, you know, other managers, you know, that maybe been out of the game a long time and people just go, well, well, they're, they're dinosaurs. We can't bring them in. The fans won't have that and, and that style of football. Um, and therefore, you've got this big void in the middle. And that's why I think, you know, ownerships have looked at their sort of coaching style and looked at, almost below first team level for the you know the best coaches in and around Europe and and that's why we're seeing some more I think younger coaches certainly up and down the EFL we've seen that but it's a it's a big issue and I just regarding West Ham I think the amount of work that those players have put in it's obvious that they're fit enough and they're willing to do the running well go and press high then you know we did the Chelsea game Sam they conceded a goal, and then for the next 10 to 15 minutes, they were brilliant. They went and pressed Chelsea, they got the equaliser, and then they sat back again. They're capable of going and pressing teams. I don't know why they go. They don't give that a real go and see if something comes it. Rather than the going regressing to a back three and becoming more defensive, go on the front foot. You've got the players that can do it and see how that works. Um, it, they need to do something because otherwise they're going to find themselves flailing around and trying to stay in the division. And everybody else obviously has had a little change and a twist. And this weekend, you know, Southampton, Bournemouth and Everton all winning. Um, let's talk a little bit about Son. Who would have thought that the only way to get the best out of Son is to drop him, leave him on the bench, then bring him on in the second half. And all of a sudden he starts to score goals. He did it against Leicester City earlier in the season. And then he did it. Uh, against West Ham this weekend as well. And he took his goal very well, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And by all accounts, the biggest cheer of the afternoon was when he came off the bench. So he's still clearly a very popular character um, with the Spurs supporters. It was, a, it was a really important win for Tottenham, wasn't it? In the context of the race for the top four, cashing in on, on Newcastle, slipping up. And, and I'm thinking now, and we wouldn't have said this a few weeks ago, bearing in mind that... Uh, you know, Tottenham were getting thrashed by Leicester. Liverpool were getting battered at Wolves. I think that fourth place could come down now to a straight shootout between those two. And if it does, I think Son will have an important role to play. Will that now be a role as an impact sub? Well, that's a question for Antonio Conte and his coaching staff. OK, let's turn our attention to Saturday now, where advantage swung back in favour of Arsenal in the race for the title. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Biparcel Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bimbingus of the Biparcel Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. 
With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Martinelli's running through, he's going to finish it for a fourth. Martinelli scores, 4-2, three points, game over. Bench wild, Arsenal in the title hunt. Wolves nil, Bournemouth one, Marcus Tavernier with a goal down the right-hand side. Brighton nil, Fulham one. It is the definition of a smash and grab from Fulham. Chelsea nil, Southampton one, and it's that man, the dead bull specialist, James Ward-Prowse. And here's Iwobi for Everton, looking to release Seamus Coleman, who's furthest forward. Oh! oh no! From Seamus Coleman! Captain Fantastic! Leading by example! Nottingham Forest 1, Manchester City 1. Chris Wood has scored it, which may earn Forest a precious point and keep Arsenal on top of the Premier League table. The 96th minute and Brentford have levelled it up at 1-1 here. A flying header from Vitali Janel. It's going from bad to worse for Newcastle. Newcastle nil, Liverpool 2. The goalkeeper, Nick Pope, sent off. Means he misses next weekend's cup final. Loris Karius, who's never kicked a ball in anger for Newcastle United, will take his place. Oh, what a game this was. Edge of your seat, non-stop, breathless action. And it sends a message that we are going to have a title race. Uh, Bakayu Saka has to get used to the attention that he is going to get. Mikel Arteta reiterated that to me post-match, Dean. But he was incredibly influential. And actually, you've got to give it to Arsenal because uh, you don't ever expect Jorginho to turn up and thump one in from 20 yards. In fact, you're very unlikely to see Jorginho thump anything in unless it's from 12 yards. And even then, he usually just rolls it in the corner while it's looking the other way. Um, but um, he was a big part, and they had a big part to play in what was a thrilling Saturday afternoon's football. Oh, it was. It was a brilliant start to to the weekend's football. And um, I, I heard that you'd, you'd asked Arteta about Saka because it was clear that he was being... You know, earmarked as a player that Aston Villa were looking to stop and frustrate and, you know, put tackles into and test him. And I think he came through that and Arteta sort of reiterated that he's got to get used to that and his players have got to get used to that. And I thought they looked fragile early on. They looked as if there was a bit of a hangover still from from the, the recent results and Aston Villa had seen where the weaknesses were in that Arsenal side, which is over the top of the full-backs. Um, but then I've got to say, and you're right about Jorginho, I thought him and Odegaard were absolutely brilliant. I thought they were outstanding in that second half. And what they did is they maybe couldn't match Aston Villa physically, but they outplayed them. They were too good for them. They moved the ball too quickly. The areas that they picked it up in, Odegaard's just, you know, a magician when it comes to his awareness, his touch, and what the pitches he sees in such tight areas. And I thought they came out of that. And we can talk about the, the goal at the end, but they, they could have been out of sight even before that. I thought they were just absolutely brilliant in that second half. Um, was there a little part of you that thought uh, that it, it was a little bit funny that Emmy Martinez ended up after time wasting for a lot of the game uh, scored no. He likes to give it, doesn't he? Emmy Martinez is quite happy to give it. 
Um, and when it goes against him, maybe not so happy. And I know that a few of the Aston Villa fans were really upset about the fact that Martinelli, whilst running through the centre, decided to celebrate before he'd even put the ball in the back of the net. I mean, but isn't there a part of all of that that we actually quite like? You know, we like Emi Martinez because he jumps around like a lunatic in front of a penalty taker and he, you know, he is the definition of housery, isn't he? But sometimes we also like it when it goes against him and he's flailing back running from the halfway line because he's left an open goal at the other end after going up for a corner in the last minute. All of that adds to the story and the thrill of the action, doesn't it? It's called karma. And uh, I had no problem with Martinelli celebrating as he as he tapped the ball in. Obviously, Gabby Bonnehor, when he was talking about it on the phone in on Saturday night, looked like he was chewing a wasp. But it was the tower of two goalkeepers, <laughs> wasn't it? In in many ways, Martinez and, and his antics at the end. But that save, the fingertip save from Aaron Ramsdale. Oh. If Arsenal win the Premier League this season for the first time in two decades, I think we might just look back at that stop as a defining moment in their season. Because had they have not won this game. The pressure would have been well and truly on. We'd be sat here now talking about a three-horse title race, as it is, I think it is only two. And I think those two points that Arsenal <sighs> claimed at the end three, of the game could be absolutely decisive. It's a three-horse title race. Don't rule it out. If they're five points behind any other year, you'd be turning around and saying it's three uh, teams in for the top honours. So don't uh, just try and sort of play under the radar games here. We all know that Manchester United are in it as well. Uh, but Dino, he's right, isn't he? You know, that save was important and this game was important. We were there. We felt that tension. We, we, we It was 98 minutes in the end of, of absolutely gripping football. And we felt, we almost lived through it with Mikel Arteta. In the post-match interview room afterwards, I have never seen him so happy. <laughs> but I think that happiness came from absolute relief, Dean. Yeah, uh, I'd agree. Um, I mean, the scenes, because we were there, we could, you know, just pan around the stadium and see exactly what it meant to not just the Arsenal players, the supporters that were directly um, across from us, but down at the bench, Arteta, oh. the players, even behind us with the uh, uh-huh, yes. with their, their analysis team who were getting in a... That all went off a little it bit, It absolutely did. Obviously, they're very close to the uh, to the Aston Villa supporters there um, within one of the stands, and, and that got a bit fractious, but... It shows what it meant. It almost it was almost as if Arsenal willed that goal in at the end. They you know, they were just building, building the pressure and eventually Aston Villa just couldn't couldn't hold out. And and I think it is a, a, a pivotal moment. I just wonder, did we get a definition of exactly how annoyed Emery was with Martinez? Was it to do with going up for the corner or was it to do with his oh, yeah. antics that led to the extra time added on? Ah, well, why don't you take a listen? This is Unai Emery speaking to me afterwards, and he was not happy about Emi Martinez going up for the corner. Our game plan is, uh, of course, collectively, and and, uh, on the pitch they have to take their decision. And uh, he decided the last action to go to the corner offensively, but uh, really I I don't like it. But I didn't tell him nothing. I didn't tell him nothing. And before, only after, because... uh, in all my career, I never told our, our goalkeepers to, to do it. And uh, the statistic or the data is going against the, the teams they are going with the goalkeeper more than, than score daily goals. So you've told him not to do it again? I want he can learn, he can learn for the next matches. Interestingly, what he said there I thought was really key. He said, 
he's got to learn because the t statistics don't back up his decision making. So he he d never wants his goalkeeper to do that, and he've told him don't do it again because statistically you are more likely to suffer a goal against you rather than your goalkeeper influence a goal for you in those scenarios statistically according to an Emery. I don't know how true that is. I'm guessing that he as a football coach of some repute knows the statistics better than we do. Uh, so he, yeah, he was absolutely furious about that. And then I just wonder whether or not that, that relationship between those two Emery and Emmy Martinez is, is entirely solid crook. Well, there's been talk, hasn't there, that Aston Villa might cash in on Martinez in the summer in order to rebuild the squad. I think he's going to have his suitors. I mean, it would be uh, it would be ironic that he's a former Arsenal goalkeeper, but Tottenham are in desperate need of a proven Premier League goalkeeper this summer. So it wouldn't surprise me if they're looking at him. I think he'd have offers from clubs in Spain as well. I listened to your interview live on Saturday and I was slightly surprised. Emery, usually the diplomat, just how strong he was in his criticism of, of Emmy Martinez. I think he was bordering on maybe going a little bit too far and that could cause him problems in the future. Mm, interesting. A little tell from the tunnel for you. Um, uh, I know that we've already discussed uh, Crook's sartorial elegance, um, but I put a video up of, of this on, on Saturday afternoon. Uh, Mikel Arteta wasn't happy about the number of clothes that I was wearing. He walked into the interview room and I said to him, look, we've just played a trail. We're going to do this live. Um, can you wait 25 seconds? He said, yeah. He said, are you cold? I went, oh, I was cold. He went, you're wearing a lot of clothes. And then you were sitting next to me. I didn't think I was overdressed, was I? I mean, I, was, was I? I had a hat on. I had a pair of gloves. I think it was the fingerless gloves he didn't like, I'm going to be honest with you. He's quite a stylish guy. He was rocking one of those uh, uh, roll necks as he well. He was. He had the he had the self proclaimed crooky look. Um, and <laughs> and but no, I think I think you're right. I think it was those fingerless gloves with one one of the bits flapping around, and then that and yeah, then yeah, that yeah, tweed hat that. that you had on. I think you drew you drew way yeah. too much attention to yourself. Rather than be <laughs> rather than be classic like Crook, it's no surprise that this morning Crooky has got <laughs> that black roll neck on. <laughs> blending into the background, <laughs> disappearing. He's just a floating head in the distance. I can't believe that, that Crook is now being described as a classic dresser and I'm yep. getting torn apart by Mikel Arteta <laughs> and Dean Ashton. Outrageous. What goes around comes around. Crikey. Um, that, that, <laughs> let's move on to Forest against City. And uh, in his pre-match press conference, Mikel Arteta had said that his team were guilty of lacking efficiency in front of goal. And they had to be a little bit more like Manchester City if they wanted to seal the title. Well, Manchester City were the ones missing chances on Saturday, weren't they? Foden to Haaland in the second half to make it 2-0. What on earth is going on in his mind? Haaland misses that double chance. And Emmerich Laporte somehow puts a header over, which, I mean, surely it's got to be easier to score, Crook. Oh, it was incredible. Um, and not something you would expect from uh, from Erling Haaland with the one that he blazed over the bar. But, I mean, it, this was so one-sided. The highlights on television on Saturday night didn't do it justice, just how much Manchester City battered Nottingham Forest. I think Forest pretty much only touched the ball in their penalty area once when they scored, let alone had shots on target. But I do think that Pep Guardiola needs to take a bit of responsibility here because if you keep playing Bernardo Silva, a uh, left-back, in the end, teams are going to target you. And that's where the goal came from. Brilliant combination play between Brennan Johnson and Morgan Gibbs-White and a lovely ball across the six-yard box. Chris Wood, even Chris Wood, couldn't miss that one. But I don't get it. You know, you look at 
Pep Guardiola's career. And there are occasions, and we had it in the Champions League final against Chelsea, when he just makes utterly bonkers decisions that you can't really make a case for. And they come back and haunt him. And again, if Manchester City end up losing the league title by a couple of points, then we might look back at the day that Bernardo Silva got roasted at left back as the day the title slipped from Manchester City's grasp. I don't understand it. I don't know what he's thinking. Well, Dean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because this is now three games in a row in which uh, Bernardo Silva has played as a part-time left back. And when we tease Scott Minto relentlessly now that his position, which he made his own uh, during the uh, end of the 90s and the beginning of the 2000s, is now literally something that someone does on an ad hoc basis. Um, but um, in, in truth, is this a scenario where Pep is just bored with winning so easily that he wants to make it more difficult for himself? to try and win matches? Or is there something in it that I haven't quite worked out yet? Because for all the ability that Bernardo Silva has got as a midfield player and wandering in from midfield from the left fullback position, defensively, I mean, he's not very good, is he? He's not, but I, I disagree, really. I think, you know, one instant where Bernardo Silva gets done, there's still another, I think, two passes before it actually ends up in the back of the net. And ultimately, Pep can't control if he's players can't take those glaringly obvious chances. It almost felt a bit with the Foden to Haaland chance. It reminded me a bit of the Ronaldo situation at Manchester United where players are too busy thinking about, do I have to get it to Haaland rather than putting it in them- themselves? I just think Pep Guardiola is a trailblazer and wants to be and wants to do things that maybe haven't ever been done before and set new standards and change the perception of of formations and the way the game wants to be played. I think he has got that about him because of the fact that he, you know, initially learned off Johan Cruyff and that's what Johan Cruyff was very much about. I think he's got some of that in him that he just, he wants to keep evolving and setting new standards and challenging the ideas of formations. I, I genuinely think he he's like that. I think it's really interesting that uh, Pep Guardiola plays a midfielder with unbelievable talent and obviously someone who scored a cracking goal as well um, in an unorthodox position. And he's a trailblazer. I wear a pair of fingerless gloves and I'm just drawing (laughs) attention to myself. Outrageous, really. Um, Talking of drawing attention uh, to uh, themselves. I mean, Steve Cooper wanted Silver's goal ruled out, actually, because he thought there was a kick in the head of Joe Worrell. Uh, from the corner just beforehand. But whoever it was who placed the fireworks outside the ground for when Forrest got something out of the game was absolute genius. But I suppose it underscores what a good coach Steve Cooper is that they got something out of this match because you can say they were fortunate. They did have a game plan. They did stick to it. And four wins in eight unbeaten home games, that is impressive and no fluke, especially when you realise that the teams that they have come up against during that run include Liverpool, Tottenham, Brentford, Chelsea and City, who have all failed to win at the City ground. Yeah, and I think he deserves credit as well just for the sheer volume of signings and the fact that he's managed to mould so many signings into some kind of a coherent team. We're going to talk about Graham Potter uh, in a moment. One of the big issues he's had is that Chelsea have signed too many players and he hasn't found the right recipe, certainly when it comes to the City ground. Steve Cooper has done that. And I've got to say, one of my favourite players to watch is Morgan Gibbs-White. They paid huge money for him from Wolves. A lot of people thought it was overpriced. It probably still was, but he is a terrific player and you can see why Steve Cooper was so desperate to get him on board. 
Okay, here's the stat of the weekend for you, gentlemen. Uh, Forest, Bournemouth and Fulham had two wins and a draw between them this weekend, despite having just four shots on target between them all. <laughs> Amazing is that. Uh, let's turn our attention to the bottom end of the table uh, where all of the bottom three sides picked up maximum points. Okay. Okay. We have to do this. Here is Scott Minto from Thursday's podcast. Is this one of Southampton's winning ball games, Scott? No. Come on, Sam. My, I'll tell you what, it's, it, Chelsea need to start winning. Yeah, but they've won uh, just two of their last 13 in all competitions. Well, they need to start winning. And, you know, this is almost... I'll be careful, careful how I choose my words, but this should be the perfect game for Chelsea. You know, look, I, I was at... You know, I've got a horrible the, feeling about coming back here on Monday and having this discussion, playing that clip out. <laughs> well, I, I feel confident enough that even if Chelsea can't win the game, they're not going to lose it to Southampton. Oh, dear. Poor old Scott. Isn't it a shame that Scott is... I mean, as much as we love you, Dean, it, it would be <laughs> nice just to be able to rub Scott's nose in it just a little bit more after that. Uh, look, I want Graham Potter to work out. I hope he works out, but it is not working out. Um, he's got £1 billion worth of talent in his squad, You know, £600 million worth of players that have been bought in the last eight months and a good £400 million that are already on the books. You can't blame the changes and injuries. You cannot turn around and say after the game, I had to rest players for the Champions League. You can't just leave Rhys James out of the squad without real proper explanation. You come out and say, no, that wasn't good enough. We will improve. We've got to get better. Now, I know he's got a very different demeanour to a lot of other football managers and he should be accepted for the person that he is. That's absolutely fine. But he's getting away with it because if this was Eric Ten Hag back at the early games of his reign at Old Trafford, if this was somebody else that wasn't a young English coach, he would be getting absolutely battered. Two wins in 14 games at Chelsea. Two wins in 14. Everton have won three of their last 14. They've scored four goals in 10 matches at Chelsea. Everton have scored seven goals in their last 10 games. This is unbelievable. It is unprecedented. It is not an acceptable situation. Now, you could turn around and say, quite rightly, he's got a load of new players. He didn't sign them all. They didn't have much time on the training ground because he came in mid-season. And then all of his players went off to international duty. Then they went off to the World Cup. Then he had to integrate another load of new players. They had 10 injuries. They didn't have everybody available that they wanted to have. And Golo Conti hasn't played a bean since... Uh, Potter was around. You can make all the excuses in the world. Very easy to do so. However, they're 10th. Chelsea are 10th. Dean, it's an unacceptable situation. What do you do? Yeah, I'm guessing you're not you're not a fan. I think that especially in this day and age, there isn't any there isn't any patience. I do agree that new signings, injuries. He's tried to protect Reese James because he does not want him out for another month and 
ultimately he's doing the best thing for the future in terms of the next 10 to 15 games in protecting certain players in that situation. And also, I know you talked about the stats of the scoring and the issues, but he can't put the ball in the net. All he can do is put the players out there to create the chances and score themselves. They're more than talented enough. So in their last 13 games, they've scored six goals from an XG of 16.3. That is that is not right. his that is not his issue. It's not. But how long can you le- lean on XG, bearing in mind that Roberto De Zerbi inherited a team that also had a situation that they were punching under their weight in terms of XG and all of a sudden now are scoring goals and are fighting to get into yeah, the I, top I, four? I agree with that, but I just think it's a, it is a very different situation at Chelsea. He's, he's, he's been thrown in with the injuries, with loads of new signings, and there needs to be some sort of pay and, and ultimately if, if they weren't creating any chances at all I'd go actually useless gotta get rid but they are they should have won that game easily against Southampton with those chances that they had in the second half it's, it's Southampton it's not, it's not they're not playing against Man City they're playing against Southampton Southampton haven't won a game since like I don't know August or something they have, certainly haven't won back to back games I mean they hardly ever score a goal Southampton yet They've beaten Chelsea twice this season. I think they've only got about four points and all of them have come against Chelsea. It's absolutely ludicrous. Honestly, I want Graham Potter to work, but this is not working. And Dean says he's protecting Reese James for this game or that game or making sure there's 15 games in the future that Chelsea have the, the full squad available. They've, there's only one game in town now, right? That's it. One game this season that Chelsea have to win, and that is against Dortmund. The rest of the games do not matter. They're 10th. They ain't going to get into the Champions League. They're not going to go down. So there's one game that matters, and it is that Champions League second leg against Dortmund. So you've got two choices if you're the Chelsea board. You either let him get on with it, and then you might as well just let him get on with it until, you know, know, the summer, I suppose, because there's no point in changing it after that. Or you make the change now, and there have been rumblings, and I keep looking at my watch in my phone because every time every time I get a text message, I'm thinking something's going to happen here. Um, you make the change now. You bring somebody else in. You go back to Pochettino with your cap in hand and say, really sorry, mate, You know, but it's pretty good idea actually for you to come in now and save the ship because the Tottenham pass will be forgiven. Um, and say, sort, of, sort us out. What do they do here? Well, I think it's, it's the body language and the words that Graham Potter uses. I spoke to him after the game in the tunnel, and I was expecting a much more angry, animated Graham Potter because he tells us that he does have passion, he does lose his temper. He was too accepting of a defeat at home to a Southampton side who'd lost nine of their last 10 Premier League games, a Southampton side who'd only kept one clean sheet all season, a Southampton side who'd just done the double over Chelsea for the first time in the Premier League era. He was speaking like he's still the Brighton manager and, and the defeats are just you know, part of the job, an occupational hazard. They're not at Chelsea. They're not used to losing every week. They're not used to two wins in 14 games. And you mentioned Eric Ten Hag. If we go back to the start of his reign, the language that he was using after they lost at home to Brighton and Brentford was very different. If you remember, after that Brentford game, he called the players in on the day off. He made them run around the training ground. He ran with them to prove that he could put himself through it as well. And he was part of the... the uh, reason they that they've been battered in that game Graham Potter has given the Chelsea players two days off they didn't train on Sunday they weren't training on Monday how can you lose at home to the worst team in the league and your reward is two days off 
don't understand it. I also don't understand how he's managed to uh, somehow fall out. I mean, bearing in mind he's supposed to be the nicest guy in the world and he's got this great demeanour. He seems to have fallen out with about four or five of the senior players, which That's doesn't right. bode particularly well either, um, to be honest with you. But yeah, look, if they don't beat Dortmund, their season is over. And he's got Tottenham on Sunday afternoon. That's a massive fixture for Chelsea, a place where Chelsea usually end up winning. If they go there and they end up getting turned over by Antonio Conte and Christian Stellini, then all hell is going to break loose just a few days before that big game um, against Dortmund. Um, okay, let's uh, just a quick word on uh, Southampton. James Will Proud, another great free kick. Only Messi has scored more across Europe in the last decade. One behind Beckham as the all-time Premier League free kick uh, taker. Everyone's talked about him this week, so we won't wax lyrical about it too much because uh, Crookie's uh, been doing that on the boot room. Spoke to him also uh, on that show as well yesterday and he deserves a lot of credit and he does loads of practice. He's always done loads of practice, but he's now sort of honed it. I think he only takes six free kicks after each training session because he wants to replicate the tension of a football match. He's got to get those right. Um, so uh, well done to him because it's, that is a triumph for training preparation, research, study, and application. Um, All things that you couldn't level against Leeds United on uh, Saturday afternoon. Everton won Leeds nil. The mutiny is well underway at Leeds. No win in 10 league games. A match of really low quality, separated by some poor goalkeeping by Melier and Seamus Coleman managing to find the big open space to his left as he seemed to come out into no man's land. No shot on target for Leeds, uh, Dino. Uh, They drop into the bottom three. Worst run of form for 76 years. Two wins in 20. The lowest number of wins across the whole four leagues in English football. Whoa. What are they going to do? Because they've put all their hopes on Michael Scobar. They have. And um, I think that the board have got to take a huge amount of responsibility for that. I don't think it's going to work. Um, they needed somebody in, I think, that was going to shore things up because of, they've looked good in a lot of games. They have. Oh, they were poor Saturday, but they've looked good in, in a lot of games. But they're too fragile, and that is the issue with, with Leeds United. There's so much good about when you go and watch them, but you always think uh, they're not going to get over the line. They're fragile. They're going to concede. They're probably going to miss the, the chances they, they create. They, they really remind me of like a youth team, even though they're not youth players and they've got some experience in there, but they, they really remind me of a youth team that, that can look really energetic and look really good. But actually, when you come up against men, you just look like you, you get bullied in, a, in, a, in, in terms of intelligence of the game and in terms of quality and in terms of um, actual physicality. Maybe not physicality if you're Tyler Adams and Damari Gray, because I noticed that Damari Gray and Tyler Adams, when they did clash, poor old Damari Gray had to be protected by a steward uh, by the advertising uh, hoardings as a result of that uh, little clash. Um, Two wins from three, though, for uh, Sean Dyche. Um, The home form is always going to be crucial for Everton, isn't it? Especially at Goodison Park. And I mean, look, we mentioned it before, exactly what Frank did last last year, just harness that home form and you get over the line. Yeah, it worked for them, didn't it, at the end of last season? And I think, in fairness to the Everton fans, what they've managed to do is, is part their protests against the board to actually create a, a really positive environment 
uh, for Sean Dyche and his players on a match day. I think they're still going to be vulnerable away from home. I think it's still going to be attritional because they don't really have someone who's going to score goals on a regular basis. They went with Neil Mope um, at the weekend. He missed a good chance early on to put them in front. But I think at home, they might just get enough points to get them over the line. Leeds are a complete car crash for the reasons that Dean has said. To fire Jesse Marsh without having a replacement lined up and ready to hit the ground running is a dereliction of duty. And I think they're going to end up in the championship and that will be on the board, not necessarily Jesse Marsh or the players. The board or Victor Orta, who was wildly celebrating like he himself had uh, put the ball in the net uh, during the um, game at Old Trafford the other week when I was there. He was in the tunnel and he was jumping up and down, like fist pumping, hugging people, beating his chest like this, making out that he was some sort of hero. I'd, I'd seen him do that before in another game I was at um, at the end of last season in the tunnel. He, he he sort of makes it all about him when they win and then disappears, slinks off into the background as soon as results seem to go against them. But he's the sporting director uh, he obviously wants to take credit when things are going right, Dean. He, he's got to come out and, and maybe speak to the fans and explain to them what he's thinking. Is he? Well, I think, um, I mean, the fans are obviously very dis- disappointed and happy, but they would at least respect the ownership if they came out and said, look, you know, we felt like Jesse Marsh wasn't working and we felt like we needed to to remove him from his, his post, but I'm afraid we just haven't been able to get the targets we were after. We need to get behind Skabala. And, you know, the fans have got to support him in trying to get uh, keepers in the division. I think at least the, the supporters would respect those those thoughts and, and, and words if they were to come out and say something like that. But obviously they're not, they're not going to say that because of the reasons you've just given, because of the way, obviously, he's acted when things seem to be, you know, when they get a draw, a draw at Old Trafford. But it, it is a real mess. And I, I agree with Crookie. Actually, I heard you yesterday on the Brute Room, Crookie, about Bangford. Lots to say. You need to just keep your mouths shut. Get on with it. When you're down there, you want as little noise as possible. You want to dig yourselves in. It is going to be a real scrap. There's plenty of teams there and in around the relegation zone. You've got to be ones to scrap your way out. Yeah, you, you don't want to turn up. Uh, with I don't know you know, bright blonde dyed hair if you're in a relegation scrap, I would very much uh, advise not doing that yes um. <laughs> <laughs> Win- Win- Winston McKenney's done that hasn't he he's got like uh, he's got he's got very sort of odd sort of attractive uh, yeah and I, I hope for his sake he doesn't uh, lose the- 6-0 at um, the Craven Cottage on the last day <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Dean, at least when you did that, there was enough to die. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> uh, Wolves nil, Bournemouth one. Uh, first win in seven for Cherries away at a relegation rival. Uh, Gary O'Neill saying afterwards that he denied his squad a day off on Monday. There you go, Graham. Um, they need to win more than one game to win a day off, he said. Um, they score more goals than Chelsea as well. Um, a huge win for them, but do they have enough to put a run together? That's the key question. I suppose, isn't it? And look, Wolves have been having a good time and to be beaten at home by Bournemouth will be a disappointment for them as well. And um, let's just quickly decide who we think is going... I mean, we change all the time. I've changed our mind all the time over this, but who's going to, to to end up going down? If I said to you, give me three names. Now, the last three names I gave when 
this debate was up and running. I said, Southampton, Bournemouth and Leicester. I think I'm going to stick with Southampton and Bournemouth and switch them for Leeds. What about you, Dean? Oh, I'm going to go with uh, Bournemouth, Leeds and Nottingham Forest. Southampton aren't getting out of it, are they? I think they might just. Oh, okay, Crook. I'm going to go with Leeds to finish bottom. Um, West Ham and Bournemouth. I was going to say, I thought he was going to chuck in Everton then and go, this is my fantasy uh, um, <laughs> relegation trio. Um, interesting. That, that, that would cause some consternation. Leeds, West Ham and Bournemouth. Yeah. Southampton staying up as well. Okay. Just because the geezer wears the same jumper as you. All right. Okay. Let's uh, move on to uh, Newcastle against Liverpool. A big, big win for Liverpool. Newcastle weren't that bad. Everyone will point to the sending off of uh, Newcastle goalkeeper Nick Pope here, won't they? But Liverpool were already remarkably in front in the game, despite the fact that Newcastle were the better team in it. Dino, what was he thinking? What was he thinking? He clearly wasn't well, exactly. Thinking, I mean, was he? he did it really early on when the ball was played over the top and he came out and headed it away from, I think, Darwin Nunez. Um, so it was clearly something they've looked at in terms of the way they wanted to play against Liverpool. But yeah, he's just made a catastrophic error, a misjudgment of the flight of the ball. Um, I've got no idea why he's not just going with his feet to just clear that clear that away. And ultimately, he's paid uh, you know the ultimate price of, of missing a, a final because of it. And... And I think they probably would have lost the game anyway. I think Liverpool have certainly improved and there was too many gaps for Liverpool to exploit, it seemed. Um, and I've been there when you're leading up to a final. It's very, very difficult to keep that concentration, to not think about it, to not protect yourselves. Um, so it surprised me that Nick Pope didn't have almost the awareness to realise what that would mean. Um, it does mean that they're going to have to change their goalkeeper uh, for the uh, Carabao Cup final. Crook, stop it. Just try and behave for a couple of minutes. Because Martin Dubravka, who came off the bench, is cup time because he played for, wait for it, Manchester United in the early rounds of the EFL Cup because he was on loan there. And he was brought back. And the two options that Eddie Howe has got are Mark Gillespie, who... He's not a young goalkeeper. He's only 30, I think. And he, he's sort of done the rounds, but hasn't hardly played very much football over the last couple of years. In fact, I don't think he's played a game for two years or something. Um, and Loris Carius. Now, the last time I had any dealings with Loris was in Kiev in 2018, was it? You made After him cry. The, I didn't make him cry. He dropped a ball in the net in the Champions League final. I think he was crying over that. Uh, but I did ask him a question which, in which, during his response, he did cry. And I did feel incredibly, incredibly sorry for him because he was absolutely gutted. And I knew from that moment on his career would never, ever be the same. But, Crook, could this be a moment of redemption? for the German goalkeeper. Is he going to turn up in the Newcastle colours on Sunday, repel the hottest striker in Europe and win the Carabao Cup for Newcastle and thus bring, bring together this huge circle, this circle of life 
and this whole feeling of redemption. He's gone from being discarded by Liverpool to come back to haunt Manchester United, Liverpool's arch rivals, in a cup final at Wembley. Is it possible? Well, clearly you and I don't read the same fairy tales because, uh, no, I think the opposite will happen. I think this is a, a massive opportunity now for Manchester United, not just because of the Nick Pope situation, actually, but he's been crucial uh, to the fact Newcastle have had just about the meanest defence in the Premier League this year. But because of the way that Newcastle's formed since the World Cup has nosedived, it's one win in seven, uh, I think, going into this final. And I don't think you can turn momentum on and off. The momentum is very much with Manchester United and Marcus Rashford, even more so if they beat Barcelona in a huge game on Thursday night. And I think, actually, if you look at the, the goalkeeping situation at Newcastle, they were a bit reluctant to let Carl Darlow go out on loan. That only happened very late on the final day of the transfer window. And maybe this is why, because I think if Darlow was still on the books, he would be starting this game and not uh, Loris Karius. But again, we talk about Eric Ten Hag and how big a genius he is. He can see into the future. What a move to play Dubravka in those early rounds of the EFL Cup, <laughs> knowing that they were going to face Newcastle in the final and that Nick Pope would be suspended. I mean, this man, yeah. he is a miracle worker. He can see into the future. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. Um, but uh, Dean, it is a, it's an odd story, isn't it? It really is. But I, I didn't want to say it, actually. I said it on the phone to Crook last night, but he was getting so ahead of himself and so excitable. I couldn't say it on the podcast that I thought that actually by the time we reconvene next Monday morning, Manchester United would probably have won a trophy and beaten Barcelona. And all of a sudden, he, you know, it's going to be very difficult to contain their ambition for the, for the rest of the season. Um, but um, quick word on Liverpool. Gakpo, two in two. That's good for him. Good for Nunez's confidence. I know that Crookie wrote both those two players off last week as uh, cart horses, but uh, clearly that was never going to no, be the No, I think they're both quality players and will go on to show that for, for Liverpool. And it just seems... I, I, I only thought it was just a, a confidence thing with Liverpool. I, I, I genuinely did. I didn't think it was... I think they've... They obviously looked at that issue where teams were targeting um, Alexander-Arnold and that seems to have quietened down significantly. Um, but obviously injuries coming back in terms of the quality and the depth that they're able to call upon, um, I think has made a big difference and, and also gives the players that then know that their place isn't guaranteed that extra little edge to have to, to, have to perform. I wouldn't really want to now face Liverpool if I was any of the the sides in the uh, in the top four, I wouldn't want to have to face Liverpool, and they're a genuine threat to that to that top four. Um, you would have to say now, looking at their their upturn in in form. Yeah, I'd I'd still suggest that they've hobbled back into a little bit of form rather than bounded back into uh, some sort of resurgence. And the, you know, there was still a lot of gaps in that defence. And Newcastle, with ten men at times, was still the better team. I thought they created a lot of chances, and Allison had to make some significant saves in the fixture and uh, those vulnerabilities that meant that there were gaps in behind and gaps that, that, that the Newcastle failed to take advantage of. Real Madrid, when they go to Anfield in midweek, certainly will take advantage of them, won't they, Crook? Yeah, exactly. You know, I think Newcastle, as you say, maybe a bit unlucky. They've missed big chances, which probably tells you where they are um, in terms of confidence in front of goal at the moment. But we, we've been here before with, with Liverpool. So many false, false dawns uh, across the course of the season where their fans have said, yeah, we're back. It's not a back. false dean, that's a real dean. 
<laughs> oh, he's, he's very real, I can tell you. Uh, but back-to-back wins with clean sheets, that is a step in the right direction. But as you say, Real Madrid chasing down Barcelona at the top of the Liga, this is going to be a massive step up. And I still think Liverpool are going to have to play a lot better if they're to come through this time. Uh, quick word on Brighton against Fulham. Fulham up to six. Massive win and without Mitrovic as well. Marco Silva doing a terrific job for them. Um, there was a bit of a spat in the tunnel, actually, after that game. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, but the, one of the Brighton members of staff got sent off. It was Deserby, uh, he was the manager. Yeah, or was it was it Deserby in the end who got sent off? Yeah. It? I thought it was one of the analysts that ended up causing the initial issue. Uh, Deserby, I think, gets... Doesn't Deserby get the red card because they can't give individual members... Cards, possibly. I don't know. Anyway, there was a spat in the tunnel. Deserby is now banned from the touchline from the, the next game as a result of that. Uh, and Brentford won. Crystal Palace won. An injury time equaliser from Yanel, keeping Brentford's unbeaten record intact. There's 11 unbeaten now. The last defeat was in October. And Natalie Sawyer and I had a conversation about this game uh, yesterday, a Sunday afternoon, I uh, when I saw her in a, in a car park outside on M&S. And I said to her, uh, oh, Brentford are going well. And she said, oh, it was an absolutely diabolical football match. So we'll move on from there. Tuesday night, we're with Adrian Durham uh, with Around the Ground. Six o'clock start on TalkSport 2. Matt Holland, Danny Mills and Mickey Gray goes on to TalkSport from seven o'clock. We've got championship action, EFL action and all the goals that go in from Liverpool against Real Madrid. Wednesday night, live commentary of Leipzig against Manchester City. Thursday night, I will be at Old Trafford for Manchester United against Barcelona. We can't wait. And then next weekend... We've got loads of games for you, including Saturday night, Liverpool away at Crystal Palace and Sunday, Carabao Cup final. Oh, what are you doing next Sunday, Crook? I bet you can't wait for Wembley. It's going to be absolutely brilliant, isn't it? First Cup final for ages with fans. First opportunity for Manchester United to win a trophy in six years. I bet, oh, I just, you can't wait to take your seat behind the goal. Yeah, I'm filling in for some numpty <laughs> on Dancing on Ice. Oh, you, are you not coming? Are you not? Maybe for the best. <laughs> All right, I'm going to enjoy it anyway uh, see you later boys uh, Crookie I'll see you th- Friday morning uh, when we do the podcast for the weekend the big Carabao Cup uh, preview I'll and see Dino you Carabao uh, Cup see final. you soon thank you <laughs> oh, he's, no, coming he's going as well, as well look. Johnny come lately unbelievable The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Biparcel Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bimbingus of the Biparcel Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.